Blog Talk Radio. So this song says this. I don't know how God's gonna do it. Hallelujah, 
hallelujah, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know he's going to fix it for me. And uh, we thank God this morning for good gospel music, thank him for another Friday, and a grateful unto him for testifying on Friday, because it's the ending, basically, of the week. And we just want to tell the goodness of the Lord what he has done all week long for us. Great and mighty things. Many times bad things happen, things we have no control over. But we yet can tell God, thank you, because he's going to work it out. He's going to fix it for us. And so we thank him this morning for the good, for the bad, and the ugly. We thank him. We thank him today because there's none like him. We can search all over. We won't find nobody, nobody greater that almighty God. So we ought to salute him this morning, hallelujah, and tell him thank you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We're not necessarily asking for a lot this morning, but we thank you for always being there. Thank you that you never left us. Or you, you never forsake us. Father, we believe in you to be with us until the end because we know you're coming back and you're looking for us. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to him looking for me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Looking for the church without spot or wrinkle. And we are that church this morning. And Apostle Paul told me he was going to show me another mystery, that we all would be changed in a twinkling of an eye. So no matter where you are, <laughs> God is going to change you right quick. And you'll become his. You'll become spotless. You'll become rankless. Huh? And you're ready to go. Hallelujah. Ready to go back with him. And so we thank him this morning. We know that all types of things are happening in the world today. And uh, people don't have no regards for other people. Life means nothing anymore to no one, it appears. And uh, children are just not being taught and no love, and they grow up cold, hard as cold, because nobody showed them any love. And so sometimes they get out with other people, and these people tell them that they love them. So do this and do that, and what they're doing is evil. And they don't know any better because they're looking for love, and right now it's in the wrong place. And so they get caught up into some things. Parents uh, often say, I'm not going to raise my children the way they raised me. And that being because of this, you don't understand. You don't understand life. You don't understand how this thing go in this world. Yeah. And so you don't train your children. You just become their friends and, and, and just let them do anything. And everything they do is funny. It's cute. And you continue that. And once they turn 12, then they turn... 13, and now you're embarrassed, and, and you want to stop them, but you can't. You started it, so no stopping. Hallelujah. But we thank God this morning that we learned about him. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've been through, we learned about the true and living God that have all power. We went to him and asked him to forgive us and to come into our hearts and live forever. So today we got the great God and we can share this great God with others who will be able to share it with others. Those others will be able to share it with others. Yeah, 
Not everybody want him. Not everybody will accept him or receive him or, you know, obey him or love him enough to do whatever pleases him and the things that he can accept. But it's yet our job to talk of his wondrous works and make known his deeds among the people. Hallelujah. I'm grateful unto him right now. Thank him for all he's done, what he's doing right now, because he's doing great and mighty things for us right now. We're breathing because of him. We have the use and activities of our limbs because of him. Hallelujah. Great things right now. And we thank him for what he's going to do. Yet again, great and mighty things. Many times we don't think the Lord is so good unless he's given us, given us, given us money, this, that. But God is good even if he never give me another nothing. And he keeps me alive. He yet is a great God. Hallelujah. And when I look back at what he has done, or it makes me want to run on in him, run on in Jesus. And it's all right today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We're going to prayer and uh, one more song of the morning. And uh, when we come back, we'll come back uh, with our encouragement and morning testimony. Hallelujah. I have a great one. And uh, I think I got it in here today. And so we want to share that with you. And we have some announcements uh, that we're going to make. And uh, hopefully tomorrow um, you'll be able to get over to the uh, auction. And uh, it's going to be on Facebook because that's the place where I could find the largest audience right now and know how to work it. Let's put it that way, too. Because I don't know how to work everything, but I do know how to work Facebook. And then I got a guy, he's helping me to boost it. And so he told me to just post, 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 post. And he got more people kept coming. And then he got, uh, he'll do the boosting. He'll show me how to boost it. So we thank God. And I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. Tomorrow, September 23rd at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, we're holding the auction. And I have cell phone uh, printers. You can print from your cell phone. Say you went off and you forgot some paperwork, and you got to have it where you're at, at because you, that's what you went to bring the paperwork, but you forgot it. So what happens now, if it's in your documents or in your Word documents on your phone, then you can pull it up and print it right there and give them a copy. It come with the cute little printer paper. And then I got printer paper in all different colors for the cell phone printer. Isn't that cute? And then I have uh, cell phone keyboards. Cute little keyboards you can type out, and you don't have to use your fingers and your thumbs to type a message. You can use your little keyboard. Very convenient. Very convenient. Easy. Connected. Bam. Pop, 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 pop. You popping it out. So we thank God for these gadgets and gadgets, and it's a lot of us. We like gadgets, we like gadgets, we like electronics, and so we use these things. And we don't use it for evil. I don't use Facebook for evil. I don't use Twitter, none of that. Because for evil, I use it to spread the good news of Jesus. And Facebook, many times, to get in touch with people that I need to or family members I haven't been able to get in touch with for years. Yeah, I, I can't travel to New York, Philadelphia. I, you know, I can't travel to 
Arizona and all these places. But I can see my loved ones on Facebook. And then they get my information. We come off Facebook and we go to FaceTime. Huh? And so we good right there. And sometimes we just call and talk. But God is faithful. And these things can be good. But it depends on what you use it for. And what others use it for. Let me tell you something. One thing about God, he's in every place. He has somebody in everything, believe it or not. Yeah. He's got some true people on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. And God is good. I got to go back to Instagram because some way, somehow I come off. <laughs> Gave off Twitter too. Yeah. But God is good to us and we thank him for all he has done. Listen, let's pray the prayer of faith this morning. It's that prayer of faith that makes us whole. We pray, believe in God. Not only he's here, but he's going to answer us. And we're thankful unto him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for another Friday, another weekend in Father. We're grateful unto you for how you brought us all week long. We thank you, Lord. All you brought us all week long, closing our right minds. Father, we had the use and activities of our limbs. We had life, health, and strength. And we thank you. And we're looking forward to this new week and the things that you're going to do in our lives. We're grateful unto you. We come this morning, bow down, Father, before you, asking for forgiveness of all our sins and wrongdoings, our wrong thoughts, our wrong speakings, and our wrong feelings. Though our sins be scarlet, Father, we ask that you will wash us as white as snow. Cleanse us this morning from all unrighteousness and give us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew the right spirit within us this day. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Thank you for looking beyond our fault and yet meet our needs. Thank you yet for being on our side in spite of us. Oh, we thank you this morning. We can't tell you thank you enough. Father, we come bringing every call and every listener, those that will come through the archives and the podcast this morning. Ask that you would bless God, bless their families and bless their friends. God, move in a mighty way this weekend for your people. Show your love even the more. God, open doors and make ways and show your grace and your mercy and show your people that no matter what is going on, you're yet in control. Oh, yeah, you made the heavens and the earth. Help us to remember, Father, that your eyes are in every place. You're beholding the evil and the good. Do it for us this weekend in the name of Jesus. And, Father, I ask that you would keep us safe all of us safe from hurt, harm, or danger. No calamity today shall come now our dwelling. Hallelujah. Because, Father, you have the last word over each of us. Ask this morning that you would bless our family and friends near and far, and that, God, you would keep them safe from all hurt, harm, or danger. Move today in a mighty way for your people. In the name of Jesus. And, Father, we bring those that are sick before you this morning. Ask that you would touch and heal. It's you that took the beating for the healing of the nation. And, Father, there's yet healing in the hem of your garment. And, Lord, we're pressing in, touching the hem this morning so that we can be made whole in the name of Jesus. You heal all manner of sickness and disease. And, Lord, we're trusting you and we're believing you to heal us totally 
this morning in the name of every sickness, every disease, every ailment. Today, oh God, we trust in you to touch our bodies and to heal them. You made these bodies. You know all about them. Father, you know how to put them back together. You know how to bring them in a place where they need to be. And Lord, give us spiritual energy and physical energy. Hallelujah. This day, in the name of Jesus. Oh, roll us back, God. Roll us back with more energy than we know what to do with. Touch and heal our limbs, our bones, oh God. Our eyes, our ears, our stomachs, our hearts, our livers, our kidneys, every aspect of our bodies. We ask that you would heal this morning in the name of Jesus. And we thank you right now for your healing power. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. We bring those that are incarcerated before you, Lord, especially the brethren and the sisters, oh God. That's in prison, but God, they're remembering you. And Lord, they're walking up before you the best that they possibly can. And Father, I ask this morning that you would strengthen them. And Lord, continue to bless them to talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among the people. Help them not to think more of themselves than they ought to, oh God, but move by your spirit for them and teach them to move when your spirit moves. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Father, bless those that are in every branch of the military. Bless our administration of the military, every branch, oh God. Move for them, the men and the women. Move for their families and children this morning. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we know you're able. They went to do what we can't. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would keep them all safe from hurt, harm, or danger. And, Father, we ask that you would lead and guide our military in the right path for your name's sake. In the name of Jesus. Bless our brothers and sisters overseas, everywhere. Move for them and their families. God, we ask this morning that you would touch and heal them. If anything is not right, if they're not sick or anything, touch and heal this morning. In the name of Jesus, show yourself to them that you're able to heal all manner of sickness and disease. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And those that have to hide, and share your word, and study your word, and and pray to you. Father, we ask, God, that you would strengthen them, and that you would loose your protecting angels to stand watch, to shield, protect, and keep them from all hurt, harm, or danger. Do it everywhere for your people, God, overseas, in the name of Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would bless widowers and bereaved families, intercessory prayer people, Preachers preaching in the name of Jesus in obedience unto you and love for your people. Father, we ask that you would bless Israel and prosper Jerusalem in the name of Jesus. Lose your protecting angels, God, to stand watch, to shield and protect. Keep them from all hurt, harm, or danger in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would continue to bless America. And Father, I ask that you would help us, God, to come back to you wholeheartedly. Help us to repent unto you and turn from our wicked ways. And Father, lift your name up in the earth in the name of Jesus. You know what we need, every American need to come back to you. Father, do it for your glory and do it so that none will perish in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. 
Bless this segment of Jesus in the morning. Have your way here today. Father, move by your spirit here today. Bless your people all like never before right here this morning, oh God. We know you're able and we believe you're willing in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. We can't thank you enough for all you've done already. We thank you for hearing. We thank you for answering this prayer this morning, this communication with you in the precious name of your son, Jesus. We ask it all again. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the time that we get to spend with you in peace. We thank you that right now we can pray to you out loud. We thank you that we can talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among your people out loud. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to his majesty. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we're grateful. We're grateful, and we appreciate you. We love you today. Oh, we thank you for your word. Hallelujah. Hey, your word is a lamp unto our pay glory, our feet, and a light unto our path. And forever, oh God, your word is already settled in heaven. And we thank you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's none like him. We can search all over. We won't find nobody, nobody greater than almighty God. Yes, yes. We're thankful unto him. Listen, we're going to one more song of the morning. And uh, when we come back, um, we're coming back with our announcements uh, and our topic for today. Well, that one is a little slow starting up. Well, let's see if they all doing that way. Mm. I don't know what's wrong, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. So let's try and see what we can get going. <laughs> Oof, we thank God anyway. I don't know, it's awfully slow this morning. Okay. Even the performance is not performing. And it's like my microphone won't stay on either. Keep turning off. All right, there we go. All right, but I don't know why the song won't play this morning. I can't imagine why I want it play. I don't know. Let's see. I don't know. It just won't do it. It won't do it. It won't do it. All right, well, while we're waiting to see if something will play, Fourth Sunday Fellowship will be this Sunday, September the 24th, in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, it will be on Edgewood Avenue, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the address right now as I'm talking. And um, 
I look forward to Fourth Sunday Fellowship because it is truly, truly a blessing. And each time that I attend, it blesses me, it blesses many people. The address is 2851 Edgewood Avenue North, and the zip code is 32254. So if you're in the Jacksonville area or if you come into Jacksonville and you just want to attend the Fourth Sunday Fellowship, then you can meet us Sunday at 4 p.m. at 2851 Edgewood Avenue North. Again, the zip code is 32254. And the pastor is Apostle Tonia Turner. Yeah, Apostle Turner. Wonderful woman. Wonderful woman of God. I can remember when I had the uh, Jesus in the Morning uh, confectionery store and, and little cafe. She come over and UPS had brought the table and chairs. And she ordered what she wanted and I went in the back to make her food and everything. And when I come back, uh, the, the chairs and things, they delivered them. I signed off on them. And then Apostle Turner went to unloading boxes and putting chairs and tables together. <laughs> I said, look at this. She didn't come over there to be all of that. And then once we uh, went over, she had a, I think it was a father and son lunch at the school where she worked. It was a Christian school. And she invited me to be the caterer. And uh, I catered the food over there. Yeah, she got their job. She got their catering job. And I was so happy. My brother and my daughter went and helped me to, you know, cater the food to them. And they said, oh, the food was good. And so after that, I bought two hams because it was a homeless shelter next door. And uh, the pastor, the food was left, was taking it over to the homeless shelter to the kitchen, and so what I did is I bought two hams, and uh, I sent those hams over there. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Apostle Tony Turner, yeah, 2851 Edgewood Avenue North, zip code 32254. This is in Jacksonville, Florida, and I tell you, I love people that love people. I love people that's always doing something for people always working. Yeah. I love people that love people because God is love. And if we help one another, we can go further. If we help one another, we can bring this thing to a place where it needs to be. But we too caught up into the world's way. We too caught up in the impressing people. We are too caught up in the what we want and how we want to look. Foolishness. Yeah. Women can't sit down for men. Men can't sit down for women. They can't wait on God. They got to make their own way. And I tell you, every time you make your own way, you're just making a mess. That's all. Yeah. But if we learn to wait on God, we'll be all right. And stop doing it our way and do it his way. We're better off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, the auction is this Saturday, 3 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, and if you're on Facebook, if you'll go to the Jesus in the Morning group page, you'll be able to attend that auction. Today, I'll be putting my back screen up and putting up a high something so that you can see what I'm auctioning off. And uh, it will start, each item will start with a price on it, and then you bid from there. 
Hallelujah. Put your bid in. And uh, it would be all right. You're able to do it on the side through the chat, or you can call me and be it. Yeah. But I prefer you do it on the side in the chat. You'll be better off. Let me see if I can refresh this. And and let's see if it. Well, it took me to Facebook. I don't want to go to Facebook. Oh, where did we go? Log in. What? I don't know. Something is going on here this morning, but we, we're we about to see what it is. Am I still live? Oh, yeah. We're still here. We're still here. All right. I went and refreshed, and it come up new. And, uh, Sister Jerry, I was going to call you, but my cell phone wanted to do the update. If you have an iPhone, it's time for uh, update to 17. So you might want to do that and uh, get yourself updated real good. Now we'll go in and see um, if this will play something for us. All right, let's try this one.
but uh, I have to get up and do this or do that, and then I can sleep. Well, I thank God for this. When my head hit the pillow, because I go to bed to sleep. Yeah, I go to bed to rest. I stay up to do whatever I want to do. Now, I pray my way out. You know, when I lay down, I begin to tell God, thank you. But I go with the intentions of sleeping. And I'm thankful unto him because as soon as my head hit the pillow, Shate used to tell me, I timed your mama. What you timing before Shate? Because she want to ramble through my bedroom and find whatever it is she take out of the head from her. <laughs> or she might want a pair of socks. She didn't do her laundry, so but she know I have socks because I do my laundry on time. And so she want to ramble and get a pair of socks. So she was timing me going to sleep. She was like, Mama, do you know within three minutes of you laying down, you out for the count? I said, yes, ma'am, I do, because that's what I go to bed for. I go to bed to sleep. I don't watch TV. I stopped watching TV in my bedroom. I used to watch TV in there. And I got one in there on the wall, but I, I don't watch it. As a matter of fact, I was, uh, I'm thinking about giving those TVs away because I don't watch it, not in my bedroom. I watch TV in the living room. And um, another thing is I don't drink a lot of coffee during the day. Yeah. And and see, most people that having sleep problems, too, they drink a lot of coffee all through the day. Yeah. But as soon as my head hit that pillow, I'm going out like a light. Sometimes I don't even know I went to sleep that quick. I'm telling you, I've, I've reclined on the couch and had a movie on. And I started watching the movie. I didn't get five minutes into the movie. I was gone. Yeah. And I thank God for sleeping, <laughs> for getting my sleep like that. I'm grateful unto him. Yeah. Because if we keep our mind on him, too, he'll keep us in perfect peace. Another thing, if I really want to sleep, all I got to do is start praying. As soon as I get into the prayer, bam, I'm out like a light. That's why whatever I'm going to do, I do it when I'm up, basically. I'm going to pray when I'm up. Now, as I'm going to sleep, I begin to thank God. But the real prayer is when I'm awake. Because as soon as I start praying, I'm out. Yeah, and sometimes the Lord will awake me to show me something or tell me something or something like that. But then I, I can go right on back to sleep. Yeah, like a baby. Hallelujah. God is faithful to us, and he's good to us. Yeah, and I thank him. I thank him. Can't thank him enough. Want to share this this morning. Um, it, it really is time for us to... Prepare. It really is. Because you see what's going on. And I know a lot of younger people, they see what's going on. They think it's just the norm. But those of us that have been here for a while, we know it's not the norm. And we know that the way things are going and how things are changing and changing rapid. I mean, so fast, so fast. I went to bed and the internet was this way. I woke up, it was a whole nother way. Everybody want to change their websites and the technical of it. And I, I'm like, it was working good the other way. 
but everything is changing. I, I mean, it's changing fast. Yeah, you go to bed this way, wake up that way. You go to this website yesterday, it would do this this way. Today is doing it a whole nother way. And the look of things are constantly changing. The way things look. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world? And some people say, oh, that's because you're older. No, that's because I know what time it is. <laughs> that's because I know what the scriptures say. I know the Bible. I know what the word of God is, is, is telling us, has told us. And we are already geared into that way that he told us it would become. Men will become lovers of themselves, and that is so true today. Men love themselves more than they love their wives. When you're supposed to love your wife as you love yourself. I've never seen so many so-called grown boys who want women to take care of them. I've never seen that like that. I had, well, I have two brothers and I had a dad. I never saw my dad leaning on my mom for money. Oh, you gonna pay the rent this month? What you gonna? I, I never saw that in my house. I always saw my dad bring to my mom. Yeah, that's what I saw. And then my brothers, I never saw my brothers uh, living with a woman. I seen them live with their wives. But I never saw them living with an outside woman. Talking about they need a place to live. They need I, I never saw that. That's so weird to me. And 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 today, if men would give God more and pay attention to his word and really obey his word, they would be in a position to be a husband, to bless a wife. Because a man that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord when he loves his wife as he loves himself. But they're doing everything else. And I've never seen such selfishness. Yeah. Oh, just selfish. I mean, it's all about me. And they can have children. But it's all about me and what I want. The children have to suffer because of what the daddy wants. The mama suffer because they giving too much to the dad. He taking everything. And we all live in the same house. You're my children. You're my wife. Where did he get that from? Where did he do? I don't. It's pitiful. Scripture says a man don't work, shouldn't eat. But when you work, take care of your family. Because if not, you're worse than an infidel. Now, he said it. I didn't. Yeah. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. That's the word. But it's just pitiful. I'm to my, I see men getting the stuff that they want. Their American dream. And they got their wives stretched out working until that woman became sick. And once she became sick, he saying all kind of weird stuff about her. You lazy. No, I'm sick because you don't <laughs> Boy, you done worked me to the bone, and then you treat me like a dog, and then you cheat on me, and I'm still trying to stay and obey the vows that I took with you. I'm telling you, it's, it, 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 it is just messed up. 
But I'm going to follow my husband as he followed Christ. And the day I see he stopped following Jesus, that's the day I stopped following him. Because he's not leading me and guiding me in the right path for the name of the Lord's sake. He treated me bad. I got to go. God didn't intend for me to stay in him be treated bad. I'm a wife. I'm not a girlfriend. I'm not a side woman. I'm not a prostitute. I am your wife. We became one. And when you split it, you split it and you make it your half and my half, I got to take my half and go. I'm gone. And it's not about stuffing things because I leave it all for you. Here, you can have it all. And never think about the fact that you and another woman sharing what I help you to get. That's okay. I got to go. God bless me with that. He'll bless me with better. Yeah. Not that I'm looking for another man or looking to get married again, but I'm just not going to be abused. You're just not going to talk to me crazy and I stay with you. Yeah. And I thank God for what he's given me and put in my path and what the Lord has taught me and what God has shown me about men. I can't do it. Because men say they're godly men, but they're acting and their work is ungodly. So if you're acting and your work is ungodly, that means you're not godly. Because godly men act godly and their work is godly. They're doing godly things. They're not depending on their wives. The wife is depending on them. She the one go to bed at night with no worries. He the one stay up walking the floor praying, concerned about the next move. Yeah, a man. But you got a lot of little boys out here with the age of a man, the size of a man, but they think like boys. I'm telling you the truth this morning. I see it every day. And women come to me all the time to talk. But see, I don't do all that talking. I make my mind up. See, I ain't got to call nobody. You know, um, Big John did. No, I ain't got to call you by Big John. Uh-uh. <laughs> That Big John may have to call somebody about me. But I ain't got to call nobody about Big John because I'm gone. Who stayed for the abuse? He's not threatening you or none of that. He, he won't hurt you. He won't touch you. And you stand when you can be free and out of there. I had one to tell me, well, see, I can't go nowhere because if I leave him I'm going to be laying up with other men. Laying up with other men? That's where your head at. These church-going women that's telling me this. So they stand with the man so that they don't fornicate or commit adultery. And guess what? God is not honoring that either. Because that's the only reason why you stand. He talking to you crazy. He won't pay no bills. What? He take his money and splurge it in other places. And you stand because of sex. Because that's what y'all have. And now y'all not making love no more because you're not building nothing. It's time to go, sister. Even if you don't divorce him, it's time to just go. And let him figure it out. Another thing I notice about men, they don't divorce because they got to pay for it. 
They'd rather just stay married and live with some woman or run over here or run over there because they don't want to pay for the divorce. But you're the one messing up in the marriage. You're the one messed the marriage up. So you should get a divorce and set the woman free, but you won't do that. I, I, I've never seen this. I, I mean, it's weird. And maybe it's weird to me because I know what the words say, and I see they're doing opposite of what God said. They're doing that. And then they'll find some preacher to tell them what they're doing is right. I've never seen that. The words is straight up and down. It's not maybe, it's not if, it is what it is. God has said what he meant, and he meant what he said. But the day we, we just, church folks, that's who it is, because God people obey God. They don't just do any and every old thing. They obey the word of God. Sometimes it hurts, but you got to obey. I've been in situations, Louis, where I wanted to tell somebody about themselves now. I really want to tell them about themselves. But the words say, I could be angry, but sin not. Had I told them what I wanted to tell them, I would have sinned. So I had to keep my mouth shut. And then pray for them while I'm angry. Yeah. And what I prayed, it had to be from a sincere heart while I was angry with them. I've seen times when I really wanted to just straight up fist fight, Louis, put my hands on them. Even my own adult children, there have been times when I wanted to reach out and touch them, and I was going to lay hands, and it wasn't going to be holding hands. Couldn't do it. The word said not to. Every take tears would come in my eyes because I couldn't touch them. <laughs> and then I had to repent. Feeling that way? How did you get to that point? Why did you let them push you and push you, and you you stayed in the pushing till you got to that point? Why did you say what you had to say and walk away, and be through with it? You see, because sometimes we provoke stuff, and then we accuse the other people. Well, they did this and they said that. Now you had opportunity to go, and see, I look better on the go, going on away from foolishness. Yeah. But we got to honor that word. We got to obey it to the letter. I'm telling you, and that's not always easy. I can't tell you it's easy, but it's durable. We can do it. Jesus coming to show us. They were going to kill him, push him off the cliff. Anybody remember that? They was really focused to kill him. David over there fooling around with Saul. I was going to do, David, he was going to kill him. He wasn't going to cripple him and hurt him. Or, uh-uh. He was going to kill David, take his life. Did you see what David had to do? He had to get on. He had to get away, all the way away from Saul. Because Saul really was going to kill him. Yeah. So when we got abusive situations, we got some bad situations, it tells us best to go. I've had women that tell me, well, I don't have nowhere to go. I've had them tell all my stuff over there, honey, for peace, I leave it all. I'll go to a homeless shelter. 
before I be abused and taken advantage of. That's just me. I'm not staying. I don't want to. This kind of relationship is not healthy. It's not good for neither one of us. I I, I, I had two people I was talking to. And I told the man, I said, listen now, I said, uh, you know, I, I, I need you to pray and wait on the Lord and don't say nothing to her and don't do anything to her. He said, I got to go. I'm leaving her. I'm going to take my stuff and go. And uh, she said, did you hear what she said? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear all of that. I got, I'm gone. I don't want this no more. He went outside. I continued to talk to her. Well, he came to the door. You ready yet? She said, yeah, I'm ready. I'll call you, Miss Barbara. I said, okay. Went on outside. Got in the car with him and went on. Well, he got his stuff and he left. And about three days later, four o'clock in the morning, I think it was around four, they found his body. And they found his body where they said it was a woman that stabbed him to death. Because he went out and he decided to play with the the ladies of the evening, prostitutes. He decided to see what he could get going over there. And one of them stabbed him to death. I know they knew which one did it, but the police never arrested nobody for the murder. She was all hurt over that and everything. But you got to be careful. And you never know what your wife is praying. Wives, you never know what your husband is praying. We have to be careful how we treat one another. In relationships, even parents, be careful how you treat your children in relationships today. The devil come to kill, steal, and destroy. He will kill you, physically kill you. He will use your son, your daughter, to kill you. So we have to pray and be led by the Spirit. I I, I know I used to say, I'll knock my adult children out, and I I, I think I'm capable. But not today. Not today. Yeah. Because of this, it's not worth it. Especially if I can walk away. Go on about my business. I heard about the man in Tampa. He killed his 16-year-old son a few weeks back. 16-year-old son, he killed him. And I could just imagine what went on. I didn't read the article or nothing. But I just could imagine what went on. He going to tell his dad, probably cussing him. And the man said, no, no, I done broke my bread with you. I done let you sleep, sleep in my house. I done Got you through school. I done bought you when I couldn't buy me and my wife, uh, me and your mama, so I, I, I'm I, not able to take this off you. And he did him, took him on out of him. Mm-hmm. Killed him, his son. So we have to be careful. Pray about relationships today. See, that's what he said. Acknowledge me in all your ways, and I will direct your path. So we got to watch as well as pray and be careful. 
Watch as well as pray and be careful. Yeah. Because people don't value life uh, like it was when I was coming up. Yeah, they had a value for life. They they would never hurt nobody like that. Yeah, not not for foolishness. Every now and then you would hear some craziness going on, but it wasn't as much as people had morals and a little bit of human decency about them. And, you know, it was embarrassing to do certain things and people wasn't doing it. But today, there is no, it looked like there is no such thing. Mhm. There is no such thing, it appears. Human decency, human morals. People got a brain. People got a mind. It's no such thing as that. It it appears, but it is. Somebody got it. Somebody know how to behave and act like a human being, but not everybody. They put these little uh clips out on Facebook that say, I'll be glad when uh, common sense comes back. You don't need to be educated to have common sense. Yeah. They say, I'll be glad when that comes back in style. Because <laughs> it's gone. Customer service is gone. As far as companies caring about you, forget it. They will say they care about you, but it's just to get your business. They don't care about you. And as soon as you buy what they're selling and something goes wrong and you contact them back, they will show you how much they care about you. They don't. Yeah. That's how they're rolling out here these days. But God is faithful. And if we're trusting with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him, he will, it's a promise, he'll direct our path. Let's not be wise in our own eyes. Fear God and depart from evil. Uh-huh. Anything you know you're doing that's not right, get rid of it. Jesus did it, we can too. He came in the human form. And if he can do it, we can too. We, it just take away a made-up mind. Anything you want to do, make your mind up, it can be done. And be determined to stick with it. That's how you get through college. See, a lot of people don't go because they can't stay. They never finish anything that they start unless it feels good to them. And college don't feel good. Going back to school don't feel good to you. I'm telling you, you got to work and earn your grades. So a lot of people never complete it. Some people start this and start that. They, they never finish it. Not because God gave it to them for a season, but because they can't finish it. It's not their M.O. It's not what the, it's not what they do. Hallelujah. Listen, we're going to one more quick song, and when we come back, we're going to our first testimony of the morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Sister Jerry, I didn't see you when we started off. And I wanted to play this one for you this morning. I started it in the beginning of the show, but we're going to do a double take this morning on this one. Uh, Brenda Waters over at Victory is the name of it. So this song says this. 
I ended up getting a job in New York from a Rolex boutique that is right in the middle of Times Square. But then what ends up happening is while I'm working at this job, I'm not doing as well as I was in sales in Atlanta. And then this this thing comes over me of desperation of I have to make a sale. I have to make a sale. At this uh, boutique, there were two guys that came into the store and they approached me about doing a scheme for credit card fraud. Then I get a job as an executive assistant for a biomedical ad agency until I get a, a call from the lady who was previously my lawyer. And she said, you have to turn yourself into the New York um, Police Department. Your previous company is pressing charges against you for third degree grand larceny. And this bright white light comes and just like permeates the entire cell. And it's this vision and I just like fall on my face and I see the feet of Jesus standing before me. Both of my parents were divorced since I was two. Um, since dealing with the divorce with both of my parents, um, that caused a very big strain in the relationship between my parents. Um, I grew up with an older brother and we lived with our mother full time, but my father was always in my life, um, always. But um, ever since my parents got divorced, it caused strain um, between them two. And so it would cause strain as well between our relationship, um, between our two parents, oftentimes being put in positions to where we would have to choose between which parent, um, which uh, being in circumstances where my father would show up to pick us up and my mom would not let us go with him um, just due to um, just domestic issues that they had between one another. Uh, but I grew up with two very loving, loving parents, uh, especially to me and my brother. Um, but the, it, it became very interesting because as I started to grow, my mother's side of the family, um, they would go to church um, like on Easter, Christmas, uh, regular holidays, but we did not observe Jesus at all, like really that way in our home. Um, but on my father's side of the family, we would go down to Columbus, Georgia, and my grandmother would teach this like home kind of church thing. But I did not know at the time that it was a cult, which is what it ended up being. So um, we would go down there every single weekend, and we would basically be in this environment with the majority of my family, and we would be being taught things about Jesus, but it really was not the Bible. And so just to go into the backstory of that, my grandmother actually grew up um, going to church. When she got older, she had four sons, including my dad, and they were attending a church regularly. Um, my grandmother had some form of revelation that she felt that she received. I'm not sure if it was from an angel or something weird. And she thought that she was going to go to the pastor or the preacher and let him know that she deserved to be in a position in the church. And she wanted to teach this doctrine. And she actually ended up being removed from the church. So when she started this home kind of church at her house, it was from a place of bitterness, and she started to teach us a lot of things against the church. So at a very young age, we were taught to not attend church. We were taught that Christians were hypocrites. We were taught even not to go to the doctor, and there was this, this environment where we would come and sit, and we would sing songs, and we would be hearing about the Bible, but we would actually just be worshiping my grandmother. Once I got to a certain age, 
I was being put in the position to choose between the two. And with choosing between the two, um, just like it was when I was growing up and my parents were like pulling us, which one, which parent you're going to choose. We were chosen. We were basically put to choose between which religion, whether to go with my mom or to go with my dad. And this is a key thing in my testimony because um, I grew up very financially successful. So my father was very financially successful. Uh, My mother was also financially successful, not to the extent of my father. So just like, majority of us who don't know Jesus, we attribute God to financial success. So I ended up choosing my dad's side of the family and going with that side because I assumed it to be correct because we were prospering so much financially. Um, But this caused a lot of risks um, just in my life um, pre-Jesus. I grew up feeling very self-righteous. When people would try to come to talk to me about God, I didn't need to hear anything that there's that they said. Um, I knew what was best for me. If you would try to evangelize to me, you believe what's right for you. I believe what's right for me. And we were actually indoctrinated into these beliefs in the cult. It was also very um, traumatic because we, anytime there would be a conflict or let's just say we didn't wake up on time to clean up my grandmother's house or we didn't wake up in time to do certain things or there was a behavioral situation, we would be sat in front of the entire church and just berated just by family. Um, And that caused a lot of um, issues with me never even understanding what grace was. Um, It was very much so, if you did this, you deserve this, and you deserve what happens to you after it. And there was no form of there is grace. Um, And it would be so much manipulation. Um, You would be questioned and questioned, and then when you would answer the question, that wasn't good enough. And it was also like they made you to believe that if you disagree with them, you disagree with God. Um, Also, if I cried, if I showed emotion, I had a demon in me, and I had a devil in me, and I didn't want to change. And it was very uh, psychologically just damaging. They also made me... um, think that it wasn't good to go in career fields of law or career fields of being a doc in a doctor or medicine because they taught us against those things. And so, yes, I just grew up with a very traumatic uh, childhood. Now, Melissa, as you're growing up, did you realize you were like different from other people who maybe were going to church just on Sundays or did you have any sort of idea like that you were actually in a cult? So we would have whispers from other family members when we would go for, like, family reunions. I would notice that any time we would speak to if I had any other friends or any other um, close friends of the family, especially on my mom's side, they would just be so perplexed about what we were being taught. Um, and we were very much so being taught about God and obeying God, but no one obeyed God on my dad's side of the family. So I grew up seeing my father dating multiple women, um, going out to the club, living all types of of a life, you know, and it was never an emphasis on that needs to be something we repent for, but we need to have radical obedience to my dad or my grandmother and whatever they say, but not anything in our life. Um, needs to like shift and change. So I would notice when I would go around people that 
that would just be very alarming for them. And most people would say to me that this was a cult, this isn't right, what are you being taught? I would get that a lot. But because we were financially successful, I didn't see a need for anything else that they were telling me um, that I needed. I felt that I had everything. And we were even being taught from a book that my grandmother wrote. So it was a lot of just weird uh just twisting of scripture. But as children, we don't know. And in a cult, you're raised with like your your cousins and your family. And you do have moments to where you're having a good time. Like you're going on little trips throughout the, the summer and, you know, you're having a good time and hanging out. And so there are happy moments and you don't really recognize as a child just what to the extreme what you were being indoctrinated into. So, Melissa, I know it was a long time before you had your encounter with Jesus. Can you take us through your life even after the cult? What was that like for you? What were some other things that you found yourself involved in before you encountered Christ? Absolutely. So I would say even though the cult experience was traumatic as a child, I still had a father who was very present in my life. I still had a mother who was really present in my life. So to my understanding, even though a lot of things were manipulation, they were always present for me. So I never felt the absence of like a mother or the absence of a father. And I even grow up, grew up like being in all these different sports and activities. And I would notice just different things about my person. I was very outgoing, made friends very quickly, very easily. Um, where things started to become or hit ahead for me, would, I would say would be high school. So high school would be a, a very traumatic time where I actually would start to have very serious behavioral issues that were starting to take place in me. So I would notice that I would be very angry. I would notice that I would be very depressed. I would notice that I would be kind of sort of a bully because I did have a loving mother, but my mom, because of bitterness from the divorce um, between my father and my and my mother, they would teach me a lot of really harmful things. So they would basically teach me like that, well, especially from my father's side, to never get married, um, to never um, be in relationships with people because they're just going to hurt you. Um, they're just going to, the second that you tell them what you believe, they're going to try to change you. A lot of fear-based uh, tactics. Then on my mother's side, there was a lot of anger um, from the rejection of the divorce. And so with that, that would be a lot of misplaced anger that she would take out on me and my brother. And in middle school, my brother went to go live with my father, but I was stuck with my mom in high school. And my mother was very, very, very volatile um, with how she would speak to me. Um, everything would be screaming, yelling, and argument. And so what would happen when I got to high school is when you can't defend yourself at home, you would start wanting to try to defend yourself at school to your peers. And so I started to become a bully. Not only was I self-righteous and believe I had everything, I knew everything, but I was also very much so a bully because I wasn't going to, I was going to defend myself. I wasn't going to let anybody talk to me crazy. And because I had gone through this cult environment to where anytime you would do something wrong, they would sit and just berate you. And in that moment, I would feel just completely just not protected in those specific moments. Anytime I would be in any form of conflict, I would just 
try to protect myself. And so this really hit a head between me and my mother. I ended up getting into a lot of fights when I was in high school and just being suspended, having to go through anger management. And I ended up getting into a very big argument uh, with my mom, and that's when she uh, physically um, hit me. And when that happened, I ended up saying, well, I'm going to move with my dad um, because I was also pretty manipulative as a child. When you go through it, when you're in a divorce household, you can basically like put parents against one another if you want to get your way, you know. So with that, I ended up moving my junior year in high school, I ended up moving um, to my dad's house. But then this now created extreme bitterness for my mom because she, here she is. She's now lost two kids. And so this once very close relationship with my mom turned extremely volatile. So she tried to get me kicked out of the high school. Uh, this is when she totally just would cut me off. And this is when I started to feel extreme rejection to where I've had the closest relationship with my parent. And now she's treating me as if I'm like an enemy. So this pushed me even further into this cult kind of stuff that I was into with my dad because now my mother is actively fighting against me and then it goes to my mom's not calling me on, on my birthday or on holidays or and it just put such deep-seated hurt in me of just abandonment that I'm a child like you know um and that started to cause like a lot of pain and so um, it would manifest itself in a lot of relationships that I would have with friendships. And um, when I would even feel that someone is, like, drawn away from me or, you know, I would just, like, fight back or do all these things to just, like, protect myself. And so this would be my high school years, um, just really feeling a lot of pain from not having my mother in my life or not feeling reconciliation. And this would start a trend with both of my parents of anytime something would happen in our relationship, they would just cut me off and just would not talk to me. Now I'm headed off to college. And when I get off to college, this is a time to really um, start to try to explore what you're into, what you believe, because when I, I grew up in this environment where I was constantly being indoctrinated and told what to believe. And so freshman year of college, my grandmother, who was over the cult, passes away. Um, this causes a friendly frenzy in the family. And as a matter of fact, majority of the people who were in that cult died horrible deaths. Um, so my grandmother, her stomach just protruded all the way out with just fluid. They didn't believe in doctors, so they didn't take her to the doctor. So she just died traumatically in the bed just with sickness. And as and before she died, she was seeing demons in the room. It was actually very horrible, but they would not take her to the doctor. My dad's two other older brothers died from um, drugs. And then uh, there were other people in the cult that died from a truck falling on them to a garage coming and, and cutting their neck off. Um, a lot of tra trauma happened to some of the children um, because they didn't want to take one of the kids to the doctor that was recently born, so they ended up having mental health issues. A lot of the uh, younger girls ended up being um, abused sexually, and then there were other people who would just die from cancer. Honestly, majority of every person that was in that cult um, died majority of every last one of them, um, except for a handful of a few people who ended up getting away. So when that happened freshman year, when she passed away, that caused a frenzy in our family because she was 
the head that was like leading everybody into this thing. And now with no other direction, my dad had idolized my grandmother so much that it caused even more bitterness in him. Um, Because of listening to my grandmother, this is what led him to divorcing my mom. This is what led him to divorcing many other uh, not divorcing many other people, but this is what led him from separating from other women who would be in his life. And there was such a stronghold and such a manipulation control in that relationship that when she passed away, it caused my dad to just go into extreme, extreme unhappiness and bitterness. So now I'm in college and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, my mother was in a sorority um, when she played, when she went to college, because both of my parents went to college, so I grew up in a very educated home as well. But I now start to pursue a sorority, and I start to try to pursue my identity. So now my identity is in, oh, I'm going to be freshman class president. Oh, I'm popular on campus. Um, everybody wants me to be a part of their, their group, and now I want to pursue this sorority. And so so I end up getting in this sorority, and uh, we end up going through horrible uh, rituals. And these are rituals that I also did to other people, uh, whether it would be slapping, beating, eating dog food, paddling, um, every sort of demeaning thing that you can imagine we went through, mm-hmm. as opposed to kneeling down before altars, taking oaths to our final judgment, this false god, you know, on, on the shield, on the crest, like, Now, Melissa, did you have any idea that what you were doing was unto false gods or anything like that? Or Mm -hmm. was this just normal? Like, did you have any of these concerns that you have now? It was totally normal because my mother was in a sorority. My aunt was in a sorority. My brother was in a fraternity. My grandfather on my mother's side was a mason, Shriner. So this thing was introduced in my family. I was groomed. I was, as a baby, wearing future of the sorority. Um future t-shirts, you know, like that I would be this. So I was groomed into this. Every last one of my mother's friends were a part of the sorority. So I knew, I I actually picked the college based upon them having that sorority. Um, So I just knew that this was something I wanted to do. But the, the deceitful thing about sororities and fraternities, because they are secret societies, is that on the surface, on the surface, you see that they do community service. You see that they're college educated women. You see that the founders were a part of like a woman's suffrage march. You see all these wonderful things, but you do not know until you get in and you're chosen what you're going to do. And the deception when you get into a sorority is they don't give you a manual so you know what you're about to do that evening. You walk in blindly to every last one of the the rituals or the classes that you're going to do, and that's when you see that you're doing witchcraft. But it's not, you don't know that. And I was very blind. I never had a relationship with Jesus, did not step foot in the church, so I was doubly blind on any of this being demonic. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even going to go to one of the rituals because they do the rituals in a church. And because I didn't believe in church, I wasn't even going to go to that. This is how deceived I was. And so you look at these things that you're going through, like it's making you tough, it's making you strong, there's nothing, you know, and they're building you up. And But they also are killing a lot of individuality and they're indoctrinating you into the sorority. So it's like I go from one cult to another one. Not only did 
those things happened to me while crossing over into the sorority. I also did it to other people that are brought over in the sorority. Even worse, there is something that really shifted and changed once I crossed over into the sorority. And this is what leads me down a path of a lot of sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. So, Melissa, tell me a little bit about that. You know, you're in the sorority. You begin to see some of these things popping up. What are some of the things that you found yourself really struggling with? Yes. So if I was self-righteous before, the second that I became in that sorority, I was extremely self-righteous. Um, we're taught to have pride in the sorority. We are taught to that we're popular. We now have women that are like following around us that just want to be a part of the sorority. So you're bullying them. You're hazing them. Um, you have this superiority complex, this, um, this complex that you are in some way, shape, or form like a god, you know, like you, they want what you have. And so now you're going to manipulate them and use them and make them run errands for you and make them do all these things. So something really shifted in my bully personality. If I wasn't a bully before, I became even more of a mean girl, a bully afterwards. But I now started to manipulate young girls the same way that this thing happened to me when I was younger and manipulated them to make it seem like they were doing this for a good cause. This was honor. This was respect. And meanwhile, I was doing nothing but taking advantage of them. Also, something happened to me uh, in regards to sexual immorality. The second that I took that covenant <laughs> unto the false god, which was Minerva, by the way, that, that's the false god that's over the sorority, that we would wear it over our crest. We would even say songs that all my peace, my love, my happiness, I give it to the sorority. Everything was about worship to the sorority. And so after Afterwards, um, I ended up being in uh, different relationships, um, but the relationships would always end because I was indoctrinated that I don't ever want to get married. And on top of that, I never want to have kids. So this led me down a path of extreme sexual immorality where I was literally sleeping with a lot of people. I didn't care. I was very numb. And this also led me to my senior year in college to get pregnant. And then I ended up getting pregnant, and this was by a guy at the time who I was talking to, but we weren't in a relationship, and I was like, there's no way that I can have this child because I was indoctrinated <laughs> that my body, my choice, and why would I bring a child into this situation where I'm not even with the dad and I'm not going to be a single, single mom and just total selfishness. And so I ended up having an abortion. And I rem I never forget the day that I drove to the clinic. Literally, as I was driving to the clinic before pulling in, I saw Christians standing outside with signs and saying, please don't go in there and begging and pleading not to go in there. But I, my, my will, my human will was, I was going to have this abortion. There was no way that I was going to bring a kid into this because my ego, my, my image, that, that meant more to me than anything. And I just remember sitting on the table before about to have the abortion and they show you the sonogram of the, the baby and still making a, a decision. It was like God was trying to give me grace and I still made the decision to, to kill the child. And I remember sitting and, and my feet are in the stirrups and they did this thing called a twilight sedation uh, back in the day because this was around uh, 2009. And they did this thing called a twilight sedation and that means you're half asleep and half awake. And I felt the, um, I felt the entire procedure 
then afterwards, after they just, like, suck the child out, they put you in this room, and it's called a recovery room, and it's just a bunch of women, and everybody is just depressed. And something changed in me after that, too. I just became so cold, so cold. Something changed in my spirit. Something happened to me. Something left me that day that I did that. And um, my life just went on this spiral after that. And the, yeah. So, Melissa, I know that you had an intense encounter with Christ, but it happened at a point of your life that you were never expecting it to. Can you kind of take us into what kind of led up to Jesus um, kind of shifting everything that you had gone through before? Yes, absolutely. So now I graduate from college. I've I've made this decision. Um, Now I get very heavily into my career, um, which was luxury retail. But by the way, as I started to get into my career, about four years later, I end up meeting up with the same exact guy, and I end up getting pregnant again, and I end up having an abortion again. But at this point, I was so cold-hearted. And as a matter of fact, my father drove me to the abortion clinic, and at this time, I'm 25. I have every means to take care of the child, nothing more than just selfishness. And then my father told me that he had had an abortion with a young lady when he was in college. And so he understood and he took me. And um, it was such a normalized thing. But after I did it once, it became very easy to do it again. I was just Mm -hmm. very cold-hearted. And then I started to shift my ambitions into career. So I ended up getting into luxury retail. And I ended up uh, doing very well, very similar to my father who was in sales. And I ended up succeeding. I was working at one of the top um, luxury retail um, stores here in Atlanta. I was selling Rolex and all the top brands. And, and and I was selling um, diamonds and rings. And um, for like the first year that I'm working there, I end up being a, a million-dollar writer for the company. And I'm excelling. And I'm around celebrities. And I'm around football players. And I'm around basketball players. And I now start to get immersed into this Atlanta uh, lifestyle of just strip clubs and parties and going to taking last-minute trips and going to Miami. And I would meet different clients there drug dealers, different, all types of people that I would meet. And I would l- go into this fast lifestyle of just like image of just um, I'm, I'm going with people's husbands on trips. Um, now I, I'm just so arrogant and I'm so cold hearted that I could care less. I would be selling a diamond ring to a man one day who had a wife and the next day I'm going on a trip with them. And I was very cold hearted in regards to those things. I was very dog-eat-dog in my pursuits of wanting to reach the top of the field that I was in, and so I just became arrogant. Um, I felt that I had no need of God. I actually felt like God was blessing me, but yes, I would, all throughout the week, I would be I would go to the the strip club with different clients, and I have very well-known celebrity clients um, at the time. What happens is that I started to become very greedy, and so this wasn't enough for me. After I reached the top of my field in Atlanta, there's a thought that comes in my mind, and I'm like, well, I want to move to New York because then I could work for Rolex and the top of these companies, like, that they're all the headquarters are in New York. And at the time, I ended up meeting um, a guy 
who I ended up getting into a relationship with who lived in New York. I start to pursue this career in New York because he's there. I have a cousin who lives there, and then I could work at this top of the top company and be in New York and making lots and lots of money at the top of my field because I had been working in this career for about seven years at this point. And so I end up immediately getting a job. This was December of 2014. I ended up getting a job in New York from a Rolex boutique that is right in the middle of Times Square. And I was like, wow, this is God. <laughs> like, you know, we always attribute God. I do believe that the Lord had something to do with my move up there because this is when I encountered Jesus was in New York. I also think that he separated me um, from a lot of the manipulation I was in still with my family because I don't believe I would have been able to encounter God because I was so submitted just to my dad and whatever he believed and, and very fearful to go against whatever he was saying. So I end up moving up to New York, and this is where my life changes drastically is when I moved to New York. The moment that I moved to New York, I end up moving in with a few girls who were a part of my sorority, and um, one of the girls ended up not really uh, liking one of my close family members. And so from that point forward, I started to deal with roommate rejection, and they started to like pushed me out of the apartment. And so the second I get up there, I'm dealing with that. I'm also dating a guy, but while dating him, I'm on Tinder, I'm on apps. I'm just so self-righteous, so arrogant, always felt that I could do better than this person and just treating the people around me like crap like complete crap. And um, so I would be, you know, talking to other men and um, still up there trying to live the same lifestyle of going out partying every weekend, all while having this job. But then what ends up happening is while I'm working at this job, I'm not doing as well as I was in sales in Atlanta. I'm actually tanking. And then this, this thing comes over me of desperation of, I have to make a sale. I have to make a sale. And at the time, I considered myself very ethical in what I would do. In my, I would never steal or do anything like that. But desperation came over me when I moved to New York. Um, I'm failing. I'm not succeeding. Um, I'm not making clients as quickly. And on top of that, I'm just greedy, greedy for more, greedy for men have extremely, extremely, extremely strong lust issues. Um, and I just wanted more and more and more. And so when I was at this uh, boutique, there were two guys that came into the store. And the enemy had planted a seed because I had also met them in Atlanta, but they lived in New York. And so they came into the store, and they approached me about doing a scheme for credit card fraud not a scheme around the city, but in the store. And so with how it worked in New York, you don't have to really check anybody's ID um, in regard when they would come into the store to make a purchase. So because I was so desperate for a sale, I remember the night before agreeing to doing this, I remember sitting and knowing that this was wrong and knowing not to do it and feeling an extreme unctioning in my spirit to not do it. And I remember even praying and asking God to protect me while I was going to go and do it, which made no sense at all. So I go into the store, the guys meet me there, they pick out two watches that they wanted, and we go into this back room. Now, 
a part of this story that is is a big deal is there was an off-duty police officer that would work at the store to do security. And he was a detective that would work for the New York Police Department. And we would talk, he would talk to me about my dad because at that time my dad also started to have a lot of health issues. Um, he started to deal with can- cancer, heart failure, a lot of things that my dad was dealing with back home. And so I would talk to the off-duty police officer and share with him. But he knew when the guys walked into the store that something wasn't right. I took the guys back to a private room, and while taking them back to a private room, um, I started to try to do the sale knowing that they were giving me fake credit cards, knowing this. And I was just greedy for a sale. And then on top of that, after the sale was complete and the guys walked out, they even gifted me a watch, which was, I was, I felt so guilty. I went and like sold it. And I was like, and, and tried to get rid of it just to cover up the sin that I had done. Shortly after that, I ended up having to go and get my wisdom teeth pulled out. So I was away from the store for a few days. I noticed that when I came back to the store that things were really off. Um, my manager was acting weird. Everybody around me was acting weird. They had some of the people from, like, the headquarters that were there, and I just didn't know what was going on. About 30 minutes after I clocked in for my shift, the police pulled up to the store and dragged me out of the store in handcuffs. And then once they dragged me out of the store in handcuffs, I was just in shock and I just, they took me down to the police station, and that same off-duty detective started questioning me. And this is when he made me write a statement, and he was asking me what was the motive for doing it, and I was just shocked. <laughs> I was just shocked that, number one, I had gotten caught. I had never in my life been in any form of legal trouble or never in my life been in this type of situation. He said that we're only taking your statement for now, but if we hear that you're involved in this any any bit further, we you will be hearing for us from us. So they released me from the police station after giving the statement. After that, I had an older cousin who lived in New York. I reached out to her just for a lawyer because I just didn't know what to do with my life or what was going on. And then after that, she like gave me uh, the contacts for a lady that she knew that was a lawyer. And then I um, started to work with her to figure out what was going on. And at that point, they were not pressing charges against me. I had just lost my job and I just needed to write a statement. So then I start to try to rebuild my life in New York. At that time, I started to work for Saks Fifth Avenue. After working in Saks Fifth Avenue, I then end up getting a very good job at Cartier, literally the Cartier Boutique that was right in uh, right in Fifth Avenue as well, you know. And so I'm like, well, finally, my life is just, you know, filling back out again. Everything is going great. Like, I will never make that mistake again in my life. And all these things are behind me. And I also want to mention that when I went and got my wisdom teeth pulled out and did that whole thing, they gave me an entire bottle of hydrocodone. So I just wanted to mark that for the story because it is important as I move on and share the rest of the testimony. Once I got that job at Cartier, this had to be about six months or so after everything had happened. I was also living a very promiscuous lifestyle. I had broken up with the guy um, who I was with in New York, and I was just dating whoever, having sex with whoever, engaging in whatever, anything in regards to sexual immorality. Um, Just really trying to cope with so much loneliness, emptiness, 
depression that I felt. And with working in retail, you're working on the weekends. So it's not like you can go back and visit your family in Atlanta. So I was just up there and I just felt so much depression. I just felt very low. So I ended up getting this job at Cartier. After getting this job at Cartier, I was working there for maybe two weeks. I get a call from the HR department that they are terminating me and that I need to leave the premises immediately. And basically, they had heard what happened when I was at the other store. And so when this happened, um, it was actually at the same time that I had a friend coming to visit me in New York. I was so distraught. I just could not believe that this thing was following me everywhere. And I went home, and um, that is when I tried to take my life. I tried to take, like, a bottle of those pills um, because I felt that I had no identity outside of my career. I had no identity outside of money, and I felt that my reputation was ruined, and I felt that I was a failure. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, and if that friend was not there and didn't find me, I'm not sure uh, what that would have looked like uh, for my life. But after that certain scenario happened, I ended up wanting to move back to Atlanta because I just felt like this thing would be following me forever. I moved back down to Atlanta. I was in Atlanta for maybe two months, and I was trying to get a job in Atlanta. I could not get a job anywhere I looked. Everything was blocked. But I kept getting calls again for jobs in New York. So I said, I'm going to switch careers. I'm going to move to being an executive assistant. And I moved back up to New York. And it's like, who would move back up to New York with all these things that just happened? Little did I know that that was the Lord um, that was actually having me move back up to New York. And um, then I get a job as an executive assistant for a biomedical ad agency. And I end up getting hired with them permanently, which was such a miracle in New York because you do so much temp work. And um, they very rarely hire you for permanent things. And so they ended up hiring me, and I was not on that job for a week until I get a a call from the lady who was previously my lawyer. And she said, Melissa, you have to turn yourself in on Thursday. I think she had contacted me on like a Monday, and she said, you have to turn yourself in to the New York um, Police Department on Thursday. Your previous company is pressing charges against you for third-degree grand larceny. I felt like my life was shattered. I felt like my life was over. I felt hopeless. I felt defeated. I felt like I'm about to go to jail, and I've never done anything in my life to get in this level of trouble. Um, What are people going going to say? What What is my family going to say? How in the world will I ever get a job moving forward? This thing has followed me everywhere that I've gone, and I just felt utterly, utterly hopeless. When I got home, I ended up calling my father first. And when I contacted my dad, my dad basically said to me on the phone that this is what you deserve. This is what you got yourself into. I'm not coming to help you. Do not call me. Do not call anybody from the family. Um, If they're saying that you did this, you did this. And he hung up in my face. And uh, that caused a lot of pain to me because my father really was like my hero. He had never just not been there for me. Even though we went through the things that we went through in that cult, he had always been there like for everything. And now I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling, what am I about to do? And then at this time, I still had the estranged relationship with my mom. We weren't talking very often, but I ended up 
calling my mom. My mom ends up um, saying to me, she was actually out of the country at the time, and I ended up letting her know what was going on. And she ends up, like, calming me down. She says that she's going to give me a call tomorrow. She's going to figure out what to do. That whole night, I'm just tormented by thoughts. The devil was just telling me to take my life again. I'm just told utterly worthless, just wanting to commit suicide again. And then my my mother, my aunt at the time calls me, and my aunt starts to, like, pray for me. And this is my aunt on my mother's side. And uh, she starts to just pray for me. And she just starts to just tell me to just hold on, hold on, hold on, just hold on. My mother actually ends up calling me the next day. And she says that the Lord had given her this dream and this vision, and she's getting on the first flight to come up here. And the Lord spoke to her audibly and said that she needed to go up to New York immediately to be with me because I'm going to be doing mighty things uh, for his kingdom. And at this time, I knew nothing about God. I just didn't know anything about Jesus. Um Was this comforting to you, having people pray for you, people telling you, like, the Lord gave them a vision, or did this help you at all? No, I I, I didn't understand any of it because I, it's not like I grew up in the church. I only grew up in knowing the Jesus that I had created that was okay with my sin, that was okay with my lifestyle, that was here to financially help me, but not, I never grew up knowing what grace was, you know, so I didn't understand at the time. All I could still think about is I'm about to go to jail, you know, and the prayers are great, but I'm about to go to jail and I'm by myself in New York. Uh, What am I supposed to do? So I didn't understand how much those prayers were helping me, but they were preserving me because I didn't take my life. Um, But I I was overcome with very tormenting thoughts. Um, But when my mom said that the Lord said that she needed to come up there immediately and that God was going to be doing, I was going to be doing mighty things for the kingdom of God. I was so blind. You got like, I did not understand what that meant. What does that mean? Like, I don't even know. What does it mean? What is the kingdom of God? Like, I don't even know what that means. So I was really blind, but I was more so comforting that my mom was coming up um, because I did have an idolatry for family at the time. So I was just, yeah. So, Melissa, take us into that uh, that Thursday morning. You know, you know, you have to turn yourself in. You know, you have literally no other option at this point. What happens Wednesday when before we get to Thursday, my mother made it up on made it up to New York on Wednesday. And the whole day that my mom was headed up to me, my mother, I mean, my aunt stayed on the phone to just talk to me. I did not realize how precious that was until after the fact. And so my mother ends up making it. Uh, to New York, and she starts to talk to me about uh, Jesus. And this was really interesting because my mother was not a extremely uh, born-again believer, but she started to talk to me about Jesus. And she started to talk to me about the, how much he, he loves me. And she started to talk to me about grace. But at the time, Because I grew up in that cult, I wasn't without accountability because we were taught to have accountability. So I truly never went to God like, I didn't deserve this. Why are they doing this to me? It was actually the other way where I was like, I do deserve this. I I deserve everything that happens to me. I didn't think that Jesus would want to talk to me because why would he want to talk to me? Why would he want to help me? I've done all these things against him. 
Why would he listen to me? Why would he help me? I just did not understand anything in regards to grace. And she starts to talk to me about grace. And she starts to talk to me and say, like, Jesus loves me. And I couldn't see how anyone could love me for, for the things that I've done. I was just so used to, whether it's my parents, family, friends, just cutting me off. Very similar to what my dad did, who would love me the second I make a mistake. Like, I'm worthless. That is what I felt. So she starts talking to me about God. And there's something that shifted in me where I just said, well, I just, I believe. And if he wants to help me, I just, I believe that he's with me. And something shifted in me. I don't, something shifted in me. And so the morning that I woke up to go to turn myself in, it was very early. I remember the Lord uh, telling my mom to dress nicely to turn myself in. And I didn't understand it at the time. And uh, I ended up dressing really nicely, and we end up getting on the train, and I hear the voice from the Lord that says, listen to worship music. And I was like, well, what do I listen to? I've never heard worship music a day in my life. I've never, I don't know gospel artists. I don't know anything. What do I listen to? And I just turn on Spotify, and the first song that comes, comes on is Great Is Your Mercy. Great Is Your Mercy for me. And it was a revelation that, wow, God, like, is having mercy on me. And there's this amount, this was the first time that I ever felt the Holy Spirit. Like, I just, I didn't know at the time that's what was happening to me, but I had a supernatural peace that just made no sense because I'm headed to go turn myself in. And I was an alarmist in the world, just a panicker. Anytime thing would happen, things would happen, and there was a peace that was over me a supernatural peace, and I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is when there was, like, faith that started to happen, where I just chose to believe that the Lord was with me. And I don't know how. It had to have been the gift of faith, because I do not know how I believed that Jesus was just there. And so I get to the police station, and at this time, uh, my mother had gotten a different lawyer for me, because the other lawyer never showed up. The lawyer meets us at the police department, and the first person that I see at the police department is the off-duty police officer, the detective, and he's there to book me in. So the way that this procedure works is that you go, you surrender, you they book you in, and then you wait in the jail cell t- for your bail hearing. You have to go appear before the judge, and the judge lets you know if you are going to have bail. And so this was what was happening to me that morning. When I saw the detective... I just knew something was just different with me because I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel upset because what you guys don't know is that um, he actually really uh, fabricated the statement that I gave to him. And he actually said that the motive behind me colluding with those guys um, was that my father was sick and I needed money to send to my dad. And he created a story that actually wasn't true. I was definitely guilty of what happened, but he he basically testified an entirely different statement. Um, and that is why they brought charges. And then he also tried to say that I was involved in a an entire heist, an entire ring around New York. And that's why my charges uh, were so heavy. But I had only met those guys that one time in the store. 
but I wasn't angry when I saw him. I, I was actually joyful, and I actually didn't have fear. It was the oddest thing. And so from that point forward, I experienced amazing grace. Um, and, I, and, it, and it just boggles my mind when I think back to this story because I never knew grace. From the moment that they took me in, I could tell something was different with the detective. Once my parents left and they're going to, like, book me in with handcuffs and to put me in a cell, normally they would put you in general, in a general cell where there's all these people that are in the cell with you. He takes me and puts me in a single cell that is near his desk. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, like, uh, police stations in New York and NYPD. They're very dark. It's like a very slender window at the top. Um, so it was very dark in there, but he goes and puts me in a single cell that's just near where his desk is. The whole time he's headed to take me to the cell, he says, would you like something to eat? Would you like something to drink? Is there anything that I can get you? Would you like to call your mom? And I'm like, why is he being so nice to me? Like, I, I'm not, this is really strange, you know? Like, I was very nervous, but I was like, what is happening? Like, he was offering everything, and you could tell something was happening in him, like something was off with him, maybe it was guilt, I'm not sure. But he takes me and he puts me in the cell. And when he puts me in the cell, I am sitting in the cell and I start to go through my life. And this is when I'm just telling the Lord, like, I am just so sorry that I've done this. I am just so sorry for what I've done. This is how I'm knowing Jesus now. I'm get, I hear his name. I know who to pray for. And I'm like, I am just sorry that I've embarrassed you, that I've done this action to you. And while I was doing that, um, this is this is the moment that I met, that I met the Lord. So the cell is dark dark where it's just very dark because it was very early in the morning and this bright white light comes and just like permeates the entire cell a light that's not like what we see just like overwhelming and it's this vision and I just like fall on my face and I see the feet of Jesus that's standing before me I just follow my face, and he starts to run my entire life back before me. Everything, secret sins, things that I didn't even remember that I've done. And not only does he do that, but he starts to show me when I would leave conflicts and encounters, how I hurt people, he would show them going home and them being in pain and crying for things that I did or I said to them. And he would make me feel what they felt in that moment. And I say it like all the time, like when you meet Jesus, you meet truth. That's why it's not an option to say like, oh, but, or I didn't mean to. And I, I wasn't like that because he showed me my sin through through his eyes, which was the truth. So there was no way to like to see anything that I've done in a different light except for that I have sinned against a holy God. And then the vision is so real that it's like you feel like you want to hide under the lowest object that you can from the Lord because you feel like not only what you did, you're guilty, but whatever happens after that, you deserve it. 
the vision was so real that I felt like he was going to, like, cast me into hell, like, immediately. All these things, my body, my choice, just sexual immorality, not to mention, like, my sexual immorality got so bad. Like, I was going to sex clubs. Like, mm-hmm. it was so bad. And, like, he showed me just everything, just all the people that I've hurt. And it couldn't have been any longer than five minutes in the natural, but it was so long in in, in the spiritual realm. And I'm just bawling on the floor in a fetal position, just I turn it off like you just want it to be turned off. And he's not speaking to me audibly. Like, he's just like, I can't explain it, but, like, he's just, like, talking, I guess, like, heart to heart. But you you just know everything. You know everything that you have ever done in, like, a split second. In, in the exact moment where I felt like he was going to, like, banish me to hell. He overwhelms me with a love that I've never experienced in my life. He overwhelms me with a love that I've never experienced in my life. I am married. I have experienced joy. I have never experienced this in my entire life. And to imagine that I felt so dirty, the worst of the worst, how could you love someone like me? How could you love someone like me? It just didn't make sense. And this love, if he would have turned it up one notch, I felt like I would have died, like I would have burst. I have never experienced this in my life that any person on earth could ever feel this about me. And I just was undone undone like when I hear them say they feel at Jesus feet is dead like I I was undone I have never experienced this in my life and he started telling me uh that he wanted me to repent I didn't know what that word even meant at the time um and then after he started telling me that he wanted me to repent he started then to prophesy my entire life to me he started to tell me that he uh, was going to use me for mighty things in his kingdom, that I was going to be working with young women and young children, and that I would be ministering to them, and that I would have a fellowship, and that I would just be evangelizing uh, to many different people and bringing many souls to his kingdom. I did not know what any of that meant. And then after he said that to me, he said to me that he would be with me throughout the day, And he said to me that I would be released without bail. Then he just left. After he left, I was just undone. I don't know how the other police officers didn't see me. I don't know how they, how it was shielded, that encounter. But after he left was when they started to notice me and notice that I was crying and notice that I was just undone. But at that point, it was also like the glory of the Lord was on me. So I couldn't stop smiling. I could not, I, I just couldn't, like I was just full of joy. I was so full of joy that when they took me to take my mugshot, they had to tell me to stop smiling. <laughs> um, it was crazy. Um, but I had never experienced that before. Just the presence of the Holy Spirit, being in the presence of Jesus, it was unbelievable. 
So after that, I ended up, uh, it was time for them to transport me to the courthouse where I was going to have to go for my court hearing for bail. At this time, the off-duty police officer was only supposed to work a half day um, because this, uh, by the way, you guys, was a 4th of July weekend. It was a 4th of July weekend in 2015. Many people were off, and it was a Thursday, so they were leaving to go out of town. So there was another police officer that came and said, hey, listen, I know that you need to go and be with your family. I can just take her to the courthouse. And the off-duty police officer was like, no, I'm going to take her. Like, it was something in him that he just could not leave from me. And, like, he was just so kind. I don't know what was happening in his heart. Um, he was so kind to me that when it when they went to go put me into the police car, they put an extra set of handcuffs on me so my arms could be loose in the back. The level of grace that I was receiving, it just made zero sense. And so even on the police car ride, the the other guy, his partner, is like, I can literally just do it. Like, we do this all the time. Like, And he's like, I'm not leaving her. I'm not leaving her side. And so um, then the police officer says to me, hey, I, do, I believe that you're probably not going to have to have bail. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what Jesus just said to me. That's unbelievable. Um, but I, I think what was happening in the police officer's mind is that they are the ones that, like, testify, but they're, the prosecutor is the one in charge of, like, what they charge you with. So I don't think he thought that I was going to get charged as high um, because when I got to the courthouse, they actually let me know that um, they had upped my charges to second-degree grand larceny. And second-degree grand larceny is theft over $100,000. Um, it is a felony. It is a minimum jail time of 10 years. Um, and so it is a very big charge. So um, maybe he knew that at the time. I didn't know that because I was just in the car. I only knew it was third degree. And I, I don't even know what that fully meant, honestly. So we get to the courthouse. And when we get to the courthouse, that's when I see my mom and my lawyer again. And we're sitting in the hallway. We, we haven't gone in the courtroom yet. So there are seats in the hallway. The detective let me sit with my mom and let me even talk with her, which is, like, not customary. They normally will let you talk to your lawyer, but, like, not any family. So my mom is sitting there, and I'm like, Mom, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. Like, he appeared to me. I met Jesus. And I'm telling the lawyer, I'm like, I met Jesus. And Jesus told me that I'm going to be released without having to pay bail. And I met him, and, and this. And my lawyer looks over to me, and he goes, uh, yeah, no, that's not possible because they upped your charges to second-degree grand larceny. You're going to have to pay bail. Um, and I looked over at him, and I'm like, but I met Jesus. And I was just like a child. Like, I met God. I met God. While we were at the courtroom, there were so many supernatural things that started to happen. Happen. There was a brawl that broke out, which was crazy, between rival gang members. And um, while we were sitting in the hallway, there was a man that was like playing with his son that was sitting at the end of the hallway to to the left of me and all the way at the right of me there was a woman that was sitting there and they were sitting there the whole time and they were just looking forward and then the woman in the suit came by me and she said I just want you to know that you're beautiful and then she went back to go and sit they never met anybody no one came to meet them but when the bra broke out in the hallway from like the rival gangs or something that was happening the two 
looked down at the people, and when they looked down at the people who were fighting, they started screaming, almost like screaming that you hear in a deliverance. They started screaming, and they just ran off the floor. And after that happened, they just the two people just looked forward. I know that now to be that they were angels, but at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Also, when I was before they called us into the courtroom, I was sitting in a seat, and I saw this vision of Jesus walking down the hallway in a purple robe, and he had a stack of, like, papers in his arm, and there was an angel that was next to him, and I only saw the back of him. Still, to, I don't, I've never seen the Lord's face, but I only saw the back, and the robe was a long robe, and he walked down the hallway, and he walked into the courtroom that I was going into, because there were multiple courtrooms on that hall, and he walked in there, and I was just like, oh my goodness, and he had like a stack of papers. And so we end up going into the courtroom, and by the time we got into the courtroom, this was close to lunchtime, because I had to turn myself in around 8, so this is close to lunchtime. There was, and so the enemy was causing a lot of delay, a lot of delay. And by the way, when I got into the courtroom, a lot of people had to go before me. Every single person that went before me got locked up. We couldn't have had the meanest judge that you could ever imagine. This judge was so mean. And every single person that appeared before him was either was either getting the hardest sentence, getting locked up, and I had to sit there and watch every person go before me. Wow. And also to watch my lawyer say, your mom needs to figure out the bail stuff. And at the time, my dad didn't want to help out with any of the bail stuff, but my mom ended up getting a bail bondsman to come. We're standing in the courtroom, um, and by the time I think that they're going to call me, they end up going to recess. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this thing is just getting dragged out. And while it's getting dragged out, the enemy is just talking to me. Oh, my gosh, they're going to give you the worst sentence. Like, he allowed me to see all of this, to try to put doubt in me. But I just believe what, what God said. When they go to recess, they are normally supposed to take you to the holding cell that's underneath the jail with the rest of the prisoners. The detective takes me to the employee break room and just lets me sit in a chair, just handcuffed in the chair. The level of grace that they that, that was being shown to me was unbelievable. And remember I said that the Lord wanted me to dress up. It was amazing because when I went to the jail cell, they didn't make me, you know, change into scrubs. And so now we leave from out of the employee break room and we go back into the courtroom. And now they call my case to the front. When they call my case to the front, the prosecutor starts to just ram in on me. Uh, we want to set her bill at $60,000 with a surety on funds. A surety on funds mean they take 72 hours to legitimize the money that you're putting up for bill. And since it's a fraud case, they'll do that, right? And so that would have meant that I would have been on Rikers Island for an entire week before I was able to ever post bail because mm -hmm. this was a 4th of July weekend. So the next business day wouldn't have been until that Monday because they wouldn't have processed it on Friday. And he goes, she's a flight risk, and he just starts going insane about just my character and just, like, tearing me to shreds. And, like, the second when he started talking – I was literally about to, like, hang my head, and the second that I was about to hang my head, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you better not, and he said, look up, and I said, and I just, like, looked up, and I just held, held my head, you know, high. 
Then the judge goes to, for my lawyer, it's my lawyer's turn to speak. My lawyer maybe only said one sentence about, you know, seeking to defend me. The judge cuts my lawyer off and he goes, does she have any family here? And my mother is just standing there raising her hand. And he just immediately looks at my mom and then he looks at me and he hits the gavel and he says, she's released, no bail. Thank you. I fell on my face when I went out of the courtroom. My lawyer was crying because he used to be a prosecutor, so he's now a defense attorney, but he's never seen that before. The detective stayed there the whole time in the courtroom, and he was just in awe. And he was, and I, when he took the handcuffs off me, I just fell on my face and I just started to worship Jesus. I just started to worship Him, and that happened on a Thursday. I was in church on Sunday, and I had never stepped foot in the church in my life. And something broke off me when I walked into that church on that Sunday. The Lord showed me just a vision of the courtroom, and he showed me that that's what he did for me on the cross, that I was guilty with so many sins, and I had no way to pay them. I had no way, but he took the price, and he defended me, and he set me free, and he allowed me to go with grace. And I just, from that point forward, I just gave my life to the Lord. There was a lot that I didn't know within the first year of me walking with Jesus because the church that I went to was just a random church that I found, so it wasn't solid uh, doctrinally. But I wanted to get baptized. I wanted to share about Jesus. I didn't fully understand repentance because no one like taught it to me and at the time I didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit uh, for things to change but I thought that being a devoted Christian was going to church every single Sunday and volunteering on everything I just and the Lord really corrected me along the way and so in 2018 was when I became born again and that's when I the, I heard of repentance and I fell on my face and I fully repented for everything that the Holy Spirit showed me and uh, that's when I received the filling of the Holy Spirit and ever since then everything that Jesus has prophesied to me I'm doing now um, I have a wonderful fellowship group here in Atlanta um, we have baptized so many women uh, so many men um, we are focused on creating disciples and leading people to Jesus and this has been my life where now I do full-time ministry and this has been my life serving Jesus that is my testimony amen Melissa who is Jesus to you Jesus to me is amazing grace Jesus is amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And I am just honored to serve him as a daughter. Now, Melissa, do you have any advice or encouragement for the people who may be watching that are finding themselves in that really low place like you were at and don't really know where to turn and don't feel like they have any other options? Yes. Um, he truly leaves the 99 for the one. He will never 
leave you ignorant if you were truly searching for truth. And I internally was truly searching for truth. I did not know at the time that him separating me from my father and moving me to New York and having me with no influences was him pursuing me. And so the advice that I would have is today is the day of salvation. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't heed to God in that moment when he showed me myself, if I didn't choose to believe him, um, if after that day he showed me grace, if I didn't choose to yield to him. I don't know what would have, would have happened. So I would just say, please, like if the Lord is knocking on your heart, if you are empty, you're looking at a person that had everything in the world. You're looking at somebody who had money, who had men, who had relationships, who had everything that I've ever set out to have, and I still was empty. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot find love in sex. You can't find love in money. You can't find peace in anything in the world. It is only Jesus. Surrender to him. Please surrender to him. It's not worth being ignorant in religion. It's not worth being ignorant in cults. Hearken to his voice. Really, when he calls you, just humble yourself and submit to him. Amen. Now, Melissa, can you pray for the people watching who may have gone through some of the same things that you have gone through? Yes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for everybody that is watching this testimony. I pray that if it has touched your heart, I pray that you really go and seek Jesus on your floor and seek to have a relationship with him, to seek to have an encounter with him. I pray that you're open to receiving his love and that you're open to receiving what he has to say about who he has said that you are. I hope that you receive the grace on what the Lord has done for you in your life, what he has done with dying on the cross. I pray a hedge of protection around every single person that is reading this or watching this. I pray that the gift of repentance falls down and that we may see our sin through Jesus' eyes and not through our eyes. I pray that the Holy Spirit comes right now and touches every single person that is watching this testimony and that no matter if you are have an extreme testimony or no matter if you were someone who grew up not having anything to the person who has everything, Jesus is for all. He is for the rich man. He is for the poor man. And I pray that we all will come to know that love that Jesus has for us in the salvation. And so I pray this over every single person that is watching this video. Please harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, Durham, I don't have an old church here, and, and I don't have a tambourine even. I, I don't have an old building, so I had to bring it along with me. Jake, start rolling now. I'll have my medicine now. Oh, oh, oh. 
That's a good country song. Come on.
Because that's just like God. Every word she said, that's just like him, is what he does for his people. He makes ways out of no ways. Where they said no, he says yes, and the answer is 100% yes. It looked like a real dreary dark day. It looked like the worst of the worst. Looked like no light is going to shine at the end of the tunnel. It looked like you'll never reach your goal. It looked like you'll never get married. It looked like you'll never have children. It looked like you'll never walk again. You'll never talk again. You'll never hear again. You'll never see again. Then this great God shows up on the scene. And he says, yes, it's happening. You'll see again. You'll walk again. You'll talk again. You'll hear again. You'll get married. You'll get a better job. You'll get the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. You'll get the luxury car. Oh, you'll have money in your bank account. He steps up and tells you this. But it's the report that you're believing. Who report 
will you believe? I'm going to believe the report of the Lord because his report is yea and amen. There's no line to his report. I heard her say truth. She was seeking truth. <laughs> and that's what we have to do. We have to go to God seeking what's real. Not what we think and want, but go to him seeking what's real. He's a real God. He's truthful. He won't lie to you about nothing. I heard her say when she went to him, uh, she, he went to telling her and showing her the things that she had messed up on. But I learned that the scripture said, I didn't say it now. The scripture says the first one without sin cast the first stone. The first one that ain't never did nothing terrible, lied, cheat, steal, you never did nothing in your life that was bad. You never did anything to anyone that was bad. You were born perfect, and all your life you've just been perfect. That's the one can cast the first stone. But then when I look back at the scripture, he said, we all. He didn't leave nobody out. The president, I know we try to impress. Uh, the supervisor on the job, the owner of the company, you know, we, we try to impress. But he said, we all have sinned and come short of his glory. Now, that's what he said. I didn't say it. I wasn't there when he inspired me to write it, but I believe it. Well, I know it to be true. We all have sinned and come short of God's glory. We weren't born with a silver, a spoon of holiness in our mouth. The only one I remember was born with the Holy Ghost was John the Baptist. Yeah. Yep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So that's what we got to learn to do. We got to give him glory. And no matter the situation that you in, you got to trust God through it. Another thing, you got to have some patience. All that rushing through, that won't work. It, it, many times it makes the situation worse than better. Because we haven't sat down to completely wait on God. You got to wait on him. He's coming. And he won't be a minute or a second too late. Hallelujah. We got to wait on him. And if you'll practice waiting, practice patience, we'll, we'll be better off, much better off. Yeah, I, I think it was James or the one who taught us about let patience have her perfect work entire and wanting for nothing. Yeah, if you let patience have its perfect work. It may be over in verse 5, James chapter 
I believe it's James chapter 1. Let me look right quick. We go into it. And verse 5. Now, that's the part there, too, that we need to hold on to this, too. If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally, freely, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We need to hold on to that, too. If you're liking wisdom, ask God. It was James. It was verse 4. I thought it was 5. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Because there are going to be some temptations coming our way. And she was tempted because she wasn't making the kind of money she used to make. So now she was tempted to steal. And she fell into temptation and it caused the problems, but it also blessed her to find God. Hallelujah. Sometimes we're looking over here when the answer is in Jesus. We're looking over there, but our answer is in Jesus. The solution is in God. It's not in man. It's not in the money you make. It's not in the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. It's not in nothing but God. That's where you're going to find your answer and your solution. So no need in us turning left and right and up and down and flipping and flopping. No need. God is on our side. Hallelujah. Listen, the studio is open. We have 30 minutes. If there's anyone have something they would like to say, please feel free and press that number one and come out. I mean, and come in and speak this morning. Whatever it may be, you may have a quick testimony you want to share, or you may have something you want to say to encourage someone. Feel free to press the number one and come in today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, uh, oh, all right, Brother Anthony, God bless you this morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, I'm Ms. Barbara. Good morning, everybody. Just first of all, we're going to give God thanks. Thank God for life, help, and strength. Keep in my right mind. Thank you for allowing me to see another day. Thank God for the activity of my limbs. I thank God for who he is in me, in my life, what he's doing in my life, where he's walking from, where he's taking me at. And I just blessed to be here another day, and I just thank God for this this ministry for you, Miss Barbara Ben being. Thank God for that testimony. It really touched me, touched my heart. You know, to, to know you know the goodness of God. You know, despite of the sin that she was in, but our God is faithful, just, and He said He'd be with us from the beginning to the end. He'd never leave us nor forsake us. Glory be to God. So I just thank God. Just. Just to keep holding on. Through all my sin, through everything I've been through, he's been with me. So I just continue to hold on, to continue to subscribe to do better. Just let me know, you know, I ain't. No better than nobody else, and you know that's something we gotta learn in life. I, I just thank God, glory be to God, and thank Him right now for just everything, you know. And I, I, I'm just blessed, you know, and I just I, I can't, I just can't thank Him enough. And I, you know, like I said, it just touched me, to, you know, just 
you know, I was in tears just, you know, knowing, you know, just, you know, what she went through. And then at the end, you know, God was just giving her favor, you know, in the car, you know, in the courtroom, you know, letting you know that, you know, he can't, he can't do nothing. He is the judge. He's the, he is all, you know, and it's that right there just let you know right there that he is almighty. Can't whatever hey. his words say, whatever he's speaking, your life is gonna happen. It's shit, they both shot down, that both chaos. It's gonna happen. It's shit, they both make it. Thank
But the earth is yours, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. And God, you're able to help me to repair my credit, to bring my credit where it needs to be. Do it for me, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Yeah. I know you're able. Hallelujah. And you will see me through. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We can search all over. We won't find nobody, nobody greater than Almighty God. He can do this stuff. Hey, brother D, brother D, brother D, brother D in the house. <laughs> God bless you this morning, sir. Good to see you, brother D. Good to see that 706 area code. Thank God for seeing it today. Listen, if you want it, you got to ask God for it. And when you ask, ask, believe in him. Ask, believe in God to give you all you need and more. The very thing you ask him for, ask God to give it to you. Now, we're not talking about somebody else's husband and somebody else's wife. They already married. You can't have that. Somebody already got this business and it's booming. You can't take their business. That's that's not that's asking a miss. That's asking for crazy stuff. But you want the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. You know what kind of house you want, what kind of bathtub, what kind of shower you want in it. You 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 know what kind of floors you want in the house. Want in the house. Ask God for believing. And you don't want to rent the house, you want to buy the house. So you're telling God you want to buy some property. Not only that, but listen, you know what kind of car you want. You know the color you want. You know how much you want to pay. A month. I wouldn't care if it wasn't but $110 a month that you want to pay. Tell God about it. Believe in he's able to do it. Why, Barbara? The earth is the Lord. The earth belongs to God. The fullness thereof, everything in it and everybody. The world and they that dwell therein. Everything and everybody. He's got a mighty sweet way of working things out for you. You need a lawyer in the courtroom, he'll be there for you. Case dismissed. You need a doctor in your sick room. Uh, you prayed the prayer of faith. God came in and did the surgery without man's knives, and they did another x-ray and another test and another test, and they found out what they said you had, you no longer have it. He healed your body. But in the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Who report are you believing? Faith is believing. We got to believe God have the power to heal me. I don't care what I catch. I don't care what I cancer. What? He's a cancer healing God. Diabetes, he's a diabetes healing God. High blood pressure, he's a high blood pressure healing God. What else wrong with your heart problem, liver problem, kidney problem, can't see, body acting strange? He's all those things kind of doctor. But do you believe? Hallelujah. And it just your live by faith. We got to live by faith. You don't know where you're going. You don't know the outcome of nothing, but you trust in God and he'll do it for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's none like him. 
I tried him for myself over and over and over again. Yeah, and every time he worked it out. But I have to back up out his way. I can't toil and turn with it all night long. I'm worried what the out. No, I, I don't have to worry what the outcome going to be. I trust him. And if the outcome is bad, I yet accept that and tell him thank you. Because that yet is going to work together for my good. Not only did he call me, he chose me. And I love him and he know it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Listen, we're going to pray out this morning. And we pray the Lord bring us back Monday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. And uh, we got some new members over on Facebook on Jesus in the Morning group. Y'all go over and welcome the new members. Hallelujah. So listen, let's pray, and then we're going to our last song of the morning. After the song, I won't be coming back today. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that has been said and done. Thank you for an awesome testimony this morning. Lord, we know it was nobody but you that blessed this woman. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. We thank you for it, all oh, for your love and kindness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Can't help but tell you thank you. As we depart this weekend, Father, bless our going out and bless our coming in. Meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. And, Father, we know that a lot of stuff is going on in the world. They said that it's not going to be, it can't be, it may be this rumors. But, God, we ask you, because we are dependent and trusting you, not man, we ask you this weekend that, Lord, you would give us our heart's desire according to your will. Give us our heart's desire this weekend. Lord, let us as believers show the world that our God is yet oof, alive and well. Our God yet have all power. Oh, you have not lost your power. And, Father, cover us all in your blood this weekend, that when the enemy come, it won't see us, but it will see the blood of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, bless us the more today in Jesus' name. We ask it all. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves that you're forgiven. Have a blessed weekend. I speak the blessings of God upon you this weekend, starting September the 22nd, 2023, in Jesus' name. Oh, and I want to share this. I got the peace lily off to Apostle Boatwright yesterday. Yeah, I ordered it online from the florist in Philadelphia, and they're going to uh, deliver it today over to her. Yeah. So we thank God. And she sent me a copy of the, uh, I think it's the obituary for her mom. So I'll post that later on. God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. We're going to our last song of the morning. Hey, Brother D, I am going to play this one for you this morning. Wait a minute. Let me find it. Let me find it. I'm going to play this one. Well, let's go to this one right here. Let's go to this one. Sometime I tell you. You've been this. walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice, that same old lies. If you're trying to feel the same old holding inside. 
There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel love He's a way maker If you need freedom A savior He's a bringer of shaking Savior you got change He's a chain breaker We've all searched for the light of day and dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain, David.